0: Well, some people are born wearing rose-coloured glasses and live life, I think, with some type of eternal optimism, a whistle on their lips, a spring in their step, and are the embodiment of the Australian she'll be right mentality. Others of us are born wearing glasses of more sombre, maybe burnt oranges and muted blues, they're the tints of the world that we live in. They're the glass half empty types, let me tell you what's wrong with the world or any moment it's all going to hit the fan sort of people. And it's probably not only true of all people but also true of Christians and neither of those are necessarily bad But they should both come with a warning label, especially for Christians, I think. You see, for those of us who are eternally optimistic and have heard the Bible's teaching on joy, well, we might easily begin to wear that joy as a mask. Or maybe we quote, rejoice in the Lord always, while smiling all the time. Like maybe it's some type of spiritual spack filler that paints over the cracks, a type of veneer for the hurts that we're experiencing in our lives. And yet others, and to be honest, like me, who are more prone to obsessing over the problems rather than the solutions, we can easily point to the pain and to the sorrow and to the heartaches of this life. But but we fail to live as though we weren't a new creation, Uh, co-heirs with Christ or sealed with the Spirit, partakers of the divine nature, residents of a new city, pilgrims with a living hope. You see, depending on our personality and our spiritual persuasions, we end up looking at each other bewildered as to why the other person lives in denial of reality. One group of people will say, Don't be such a defeatist. We are more than conquerors. Jesus is on the throne. Life is amazing. And the other says, Don't be naive. The world is a broken place. Sorrow is real. And grief is all around us. So the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is who's right? Is there a better Christian, a better version of one of those? Or just maybe we need to stop comparing ourselves to each other and measure our heart's posture against the living and eternal Word of God. Because the Bible doesn't take sides on this topic. It refuses to declare one of these groups as the victor. The Bible holds both of these realities in tension and it informs us that life as a human and in particular, life as a Christian is often more complex than we like to admit or even wished it was. And to help give us the language of this complexity, the Bible gives us a literary genre a type of writing that we experience in the Bible called lament. So, what is a lament? We're beginning this three week series today looking at this topic lament. What is it? Well, a lament is a form of complaint. It's an expression of human experience and human emotion that names and owns the hard experiences of living in a world which is fractured by sin and destruction. But it isn't the sort of complaint which is typical of the bloke down the pub who never stops whinging about his boss, or the conditions, or the pay, or whatever it is that's got his nose out of joint this week. Nor is it like the the gossiping girl in your office who starts every sentence with, did you hear about? And finishes every sentence with, I can't believe it, it's terrible, isn't it? A lament is different to that. A lament is firstly a complaint which is directed towards God. Not about God, but towards God. And because it is a complaint to God, it takes into serious consideration who it is that we are speaking to. The Bible's filled with laments. In fact, there's an entire book of the Old Testament dedicated to one great big long one. It's called Lamentations. But in this series, we're going to focus in on just three poems or songs from the book of Psalms and see if we can't learn how to be a people who adopt the language of lament and to do that well. These songs or poems are songs of sorrow, but they are also songs of hope, and that makes the lament uniquely Christian. All of these laments follow a general structure, um, almost a predictable pattern of expression as the person praying because that's what a lament is, it's an expression of our emotions back to God or prayer. So that person is praying and they pour out their sorrow to God but they also pour out their hope in God. So let's see how this structure works in our first poem. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms and we're going to focus in on Psalm 10 this morning. Psalm 10, why not you find it in your Bible. This is a lament about injustice. What I want to do is just read it through in one go without any comment. But then we're going to go back and I'm going to point out the transitions in the song that move us through the various elements of lament, that you will find in almost every lament recorded in our Bible. So have you found Psalm 10 yet? Okay, I'm going to read it from the Christian Standard Bible, Psalm 10, reading from verse 1. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked, the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there is no God. His ways are always secure. Your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I will never be moved. From generation to generation, I will be without calamity. Cursing. Deceit and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes the victim and drags him into his net. So he is oppressed and beaten down. Helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and he will never see. Rise up, Lord God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked, evil person until you look for his wickedness and it can't be found. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. I want to pray, and then we're going to reflect on this psalm for a little while. Lord, thank you for being with us and speaking to us through your word. Thank you that we can be a people who gather regardless of the circumstances to bring praise to your name because you are good. And yet, Lord, we see around us the injustice of this world, the oppressed, the wicked who seem to prosper and, Lord, it breaks our heart. And so as we learn the language of lament through Psalm 10 this morning, Lord, will you encourage us and infuse hope to our hearts Help us learn the language of sorrow and hope that we find in this psalm. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Now what I want to do is go back through this psalm by inserting the four elements that we find in a lament and yet at the same time, I don't want this to be an academic experience because the psalmist has just poured out their heart about terrible and tragic injustices that they have seen. And this is real pain and pain that many of you may have experienced as well. So not only can Psalm 10 instruct us as to how to identify a lament, it should also give us voice to pour out our own laments to God for the injustices that we have seen and experienced in this world. So here's the first one that I want you to notice. The first element to nearly any lament that you will find in the Bible. And this one is just expressed by verse 1. It is turn to God. That's the first element to a lament. You turn to God. So go back to verse 1 and have a look at it again. The psalmist says, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Almost every lament starts this way, a series of statements most often given as questions and they are addressed directly to God. It is precisely at this point that the poem becomes a lament and not just an opportunity to vent or express our frustrations This is true because the writer has chosen to take their complaint to God rather than to the world, rather than just to anyone that will lend them an ear for a little while. A lament is in fact an act of faith. It's a declaration that not only is God able to hear our complaint, but he's able to bear the weight of it with justice and dignity that he will give to our sufferings. One of the things that we can be tempted to do when we read these songs of lament or when we hear someone lamenting is we can be tempted to begin correcting the songwriter's theology. Just as we're tempted to correct each other's theology when grief and sorrow pour out raw And unfiltered sometimes you see the questions that the psalmist asks Lord why do you stand so far away and we're tempted to say God isn't far away right get your theology straight the next question he asks is why do you hide in times of trouble God isn't hiding we say he's not far away he's close to you Of course both of those things are true but isn't it also true that when you are in the depths of your despair it can feel as though God is far away and it can feel like God is disinterested in your pain? These questions aren't a proclamation of truth, they are a confession of our feeling, a confession of our experience who better to tell than the one who formed our emotions, who understands that we are dust, who has even experienced the fragility of our human condition. Lament turns our attention from the world and brings all of our experience and all of our pain and even all of our feelings And in an act of faith, we pour them back out and we turn to God with our lament. So that's the first step, turn to God. Second step is always this, bring your complaint. So we turn to God and then we bring our complaint. This section in Psalm 10 is represented from verses 2 all the way down to verse 11. It would be good for us just to look carefully at what the songwriter notices about the world that he lives in. I want you to notice, though, that lament refuses to stoop to just venting our anger. Instead, it is a humble but honest expression of what we see as being wrong in the world. Or maybe it's an expression of our pain. Our frustration. So I want you to go and just notice in verse ten, chapter ten, verses two down to verse eleven. I'm just going to go through and highlight a couple of the expressions that he makes. Uh, You see the first one in verse two: in arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. So straight away, here is the complaint, right? The songwriter has seen the the evil ones who are pursuing, relentless, he said. They are never stopping. They just continue on and on and their arrogance is almost tangible. You can see it and feel it and experience it. Verse three, for the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. You can see here the psalmist is looking out on the world around him and he's noticing things aren't the way they should be. There are arrogant people, there are boasting people who despise the Lord, who relentlessly pursue their victims. Verse 4, in all his schemings, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability The arrogant, the psalmist realises, lives life like they will never be called to account. The arrogant says, there's no God. There's no consequence to the way that I live. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. Verse 5, talking about the wicked again, he says, his ways are always secure. They they strut through life, the psalmist says, as though they will never be brought to account. And so they seem so secure, so self-assured He scoffs at his adversaries, verse 5 says. Verse 6, I'll never be moved, the evil person says. From generation to generation without calamity, I will live my life large. This is all about me. Verse 7, cursing, deceit, violence fills his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. He's he's on the lookout for the helpless. He he attacks the weak. He likens him to a lion in verse 9, a lion that lies in ambush waiting. I don't know if you've ever seen those documentaries. I've loved watching nature documentaries most of my life and you see the lioness usually on the hunt with the, the rest of the pack and there's a, you know, a, a big mob of zebra or wildebeest or antelope or something and, and they get into position and there's one there just lying in the long grass, almost hidden, they can't be seen and another one pushes the, you know, the, the whole mob out and they're all running and they're trying to isolate the weak or the young or something and at the last minute, out of the ambush, this lioness springs out and, and takes down the antelope and... And that picture the psalmist takes and he he looks around him, he says, it's not just lions who doubt, I can see people who do that. Maybe you've experienced that or you've seen it. This complaint continues. He is oppressed and beaten down, the, the innocent, the weak, helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength and the psalmist is pouring all this out to God as a complaint, saying, it is not right. God has forgotten, he says to himself. He hides his face and will never see. We look around us and we can see that there are people who are acting and as though they act without any consequence to come. And maybe you've been that helpless one who has been taken advantage of, the strong in your life has laid in ambush for you. People that you trusted, people that you thought would never act that way. And it's so easy for us in that situation, whether we are the ones who've experienced it or whether it's our loved ones who have, to stand and say, Why, God? Why? Why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide? So we turn to God in our lament and we bring all our complaints. We we name them for what they are. We bring them to God. And then the third element of a lament is this. We ask boldly for help. We turn to God. We bring our complaint. We ask boldly for help. This element is seen in verses 12 down to verse 15. And it can often be quite a confronting part of the passage in any of the poems of lament. And, and a, maybe one that as Christians we sometimes wrestle with, knowing are we even allowed to pray things like this? Are we, are we allowed to even ask God to do things like this? So in Psalm 58, another lament You see the psalmist call out to God and say, God, shatter their teeth, smash their bones, tear them down, destroy them. And here we are calling out to God and saying, God, please act. And you'll find that here in Psalm 10. Have a look at verse 15. Break the arms of the wicked, evil person until you look for his wickedness, but it can't be found. This is where we ask boldly for God to act. We've turned to God now in our distress. We've called out and laid all of our complaints before him, and now we simply come to him and say, Lord, please do something. See, this too is a declaration of faith. It is an acknowledgement that more often than not, true justice will not be found until it is delivered by God. As we turn to God and bring our complaint, the lament shows us the folly of seeking justice by our own hands. And instead, We seek it in the righteous and just face of our powerful God. Psalm 10 and verse 12, rise up Lord God, lift up your hand, do not forget the oppressed. This is our call to God to act because we can't. Often we are so powerless in this world. I turn on the news and I see what's happening in Afghanistan or in Central Africa or in Indonesia or all around our world, even within our own country, and so often we think, what can I do? I can change my Facebook profile. But what does that really accomplish for the weak and for the harassed and for the distressed? I can put a comment of my support, which is great, but will that save the widow or the orphan or the the harassed Christian in Afghanistan? Maybe I can give to a cause and that can help too, but, but we are still left with this overwhelming sense of the injustice of this world and what difference can I truly make and ultimately we turn to God and we say, God, it is you who must act. We must be ready, but Lord, it is you. So rise up, Lord God, we call out. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. We even call out those who are the wicked and evil ones. Lord, frustrate their plans. Break their arms. Smash their teeth. Lord, please act on behalf of those who are distressed. This is where we could easily fall into despair. But a lament quickly turns from turning to God, bring our complaint, boldly ask God to act, and then the final one is this. We choose to trust. This is the final part of this psalm. From verses 16 down to verse 18. The psalmist, even though he sees all the injustice, even though he sees all of this distress, and he's boldly asked God to do something, even then... Before God, it would seem, has done anything at all that the psalmist can see, the psalmist still makes a declaration of trust. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desires of the humble You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. I want you to notice some of the key words in those few verses. The Lord is. If you're an underlining person, underline the word is. Not the Lord will be. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will. Underline that. Perish from this land. Lord, you have underlined that, heard the desires of the humble. You will underline that, strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice. Can you see the statements of absolute trust from the psalmist here? Yes, injustice is all around me, and I've brought my complaint to God. I've brought my feelings, my honest feelings before him. I've asked him to boldly act, but now I declare truth. I declare trust in the Lord. This is where biblical lament will lead us to a settled trust in the character of God. Do you remember where it all began? Psalm 1 Psalm 10 verse 1, Lord Why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? It began with an honest expression of how I felt. But it finishes with a trusting rehearsal of what I know to be true. To lament as the Bible informs us how is a uniquely Christian way to pray and sing. It neither buries its head in the sand of religious idealism, and nor does it despair at the horrors of a fallen world. Lament gives us the language of honest reflection in our sorrow, but it also gives us the language of victory. In the living hope of a conquering Savior. We know that suffering is real, but we also know that it has an expiry date. Revelation 21 and 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief Crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have all passed away. There will be no need for songs of lament in heaven, but we do have need for them now. This world is filled with deep and painful injustice. Some of you have tasted it already. The rest of you will experience it soon enough. And in the meantime, you will only need to watch the evening news to observe it from afar. How should we respond? We respond with songs of lament, where we turn to God, not the world around us. We turn to God. We bring our complaint. We own our emotions, our feelings, our frustrations and we bring them all to God. God God can carry them. He can bear them. Bring them to him. Name them. Tell God, "This is what I've seen." And then ask boldly for help. What do you want God to do about it? Ask him. Call out to him. Say, God, justice will only be seen when you act. And then lastly, choose to trust. Choose to trust. Our emotions can overwhelm us. Our feelings can be so heavy upon us, but that is precisely where we turn and we say, God, I trust you. I'm going to pray. I'm looking forward to the next two weeks as we start to go into some other songs of lament. We see the way that the psalmist laments not only over injustice but maybe over other struggles that we experience in the human life. Lord, I thank you that you meet us where we are. You call us to not be anything more than you have made us to be. We are merely human We experience pain and sorrow and injustice in this world. And you have given us the language of lament, these psalms to instruct us and to give us voice to be able to express our experience in this world. And so right now, rather than just learning academically about what a lament is, we call out to you, Lord, sometimes you feel so distant from us and our experiences. We see such injustice in this world. We pray for our brothers and sisters and those who don't know you in countries like Afghanistan who are under the rule of tyranny where godless people oppress and cruelly treat and kill. And Lord, we ask you to act. Lord, rise up. Make your name great in that country that those who don't know you might fear you and either run to you for protection or experience your judgment. Lord, act, we pray, but we trust who you are. You are good. Your name is great and it will be forever. And for generation upon generation, all throughout eternity, we will sing the praises of the Lamb, the one who conquered death. And so we trust your name. Lord, give us the language of lament in this world and in this experience. And as we continue to go through the Psalms, Lord, instruct us and encourage us and comfort us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.